0: As you know, Tuesday is going to be election day. So I've been thinking it would be a fitting time to put that election in perspective. I want to put the upcoming election and its impending results and all the different feelings and thoughts that we might have about it. Um, through the. I want to look at those through the lens of the New Testament. And so what I want to talk with you about this morning is pretty straightforward. This is by no means the first lesson of its kind. I want to talk with you about what this year's election will not change. I want to talk with you about things that are not going to change regardless of which candidate wins, regardless of which party is in power in Congress when the dust settles. Because from the perspective of a Christian, there are some things that are going to remain constant. And I'd like to begin with you by turning to the Old Testament the book of Daniel to Daniel chapter 7 that's where we'll start this morning Daniel chapter 7 I hope everybody's having a good morning it's very nice to get to be with you it's a beautiful day out I think we got a little bit of rain earlier but it's warming up and I may just get to mow a front yard when we get home later on today Um, it's finally looking beautiful now that winter's about here to kill it it's looking really really good just to enjoy it um, a little bit today And I plan to do that at least before it's, you know, dark before dinner time, now that we're back on standard time. But it's good to get to have everybody here for the most important part of this day as we worship God together. And now turn our minds to study a portion of his word. And I very much hope that this lesson will be beneficial. Um, Frankly, it's my hope that it won't be altogether necessary for you. Um, That you have confidence enough in your Lord that this is just kind of a refresher. Uh, But just in case um, you are concerned about some of the things of this week, as I think it is understandable to be, I thought it might be good to remind ourselves of some things that are constant regardless of who may occupy a position of power in whatever country it may be that, that, that we're a part of. So the first thing that I want to emphasize this morning, as I said, this is not a brand new ground that we're breaking here. But the first thing that I want to emphasize this morning is that regardless of what happens in the election here in a couple of days, our leader is Jesus Christ. Our leader is Jesus. The book of Daniel contains a couple of different passages that describe the unfolding of world events. One of those you find in Daniel chapter 2. The other you find in Daniel 7. They are similar uh, those two uh, recordings because they both talk about the kingdom in which Daniel lives, that is the kingdom of Babylon, and they talk about the future kingdoms that are going to come. We know now that the kingdoms that would come would be Persia and Greece and then Rome. And in Daniel chapter 2, those kingdoms are depicted for us in the terms of a statue that's comprised of different metals. In Daniel 7, however, the four kingdoms are portrayed in terms of what you might call animals, but they're kind of composite animals. They're beasts that are comprised of the noteworthy features of of a plurality of strong creatures. So you have, for example, a fierce lion with wings. Uh, In verse 2, Daniel says... Or the text says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. And if you were to glance ahead down through that text or perhaps read it later on today or this week, you can see some of those creatures. You can note some of their features features. They're all based on reality, but they're quite fantastic in their description. The thing I want you to see as we're looking at this particular text, though, is notice that as Daniel, in his vision, beholds the unfolding of world history, that that unfolding originates from this chaotic, turbulent, swirling water of a sea. There is a reason for imagery like that. In Daniel's day and time, the political scene that was his own was very chaotic. One of the the best ways you could picture it was in terms of a tumultuous body of water. And from out of that, we're going to rise these these kingdoms. The reason I would start with a particular point like that is because, as Americans, we've kind of been spoiled a little bit, relatively speaking, uh, with stretches of peace, and prosperity. Now, we've known our wars, particularly we've known a lot of battles and different things in the last 10, 20 years, uh, and then a number of decades ago. But if you lived during the 80s and the 90s, if you were around for that stretch, then you had two decades of relative calm and peace for the most part. That's kind of the exception to the rule. The rule in history has been much different, much more chaotic. And some of you have lived in those times beforehand. We're living in something of that even now. That's the exact kind of time frame in which Daniel lived. Daniel grew up as a free person in Judah. Then he became an exile in Babylon. Then he saw the Babylonian kingdom fall and Persia come to take over. That's three major changes of the world seen just in his life. And that sort of thing is what most people throughout world history have experienced. You can look up some charts of of, um, the different conflicts that we know of throughout history being dotted on the map and all of them added together. And it's just a sea of dots, all these different conflicts and battles that have happened. And you can even narrow down some of those charts to the different time periods, maybe a a thousand years here, a couple hundred years there, different time periods that we think of, you know, middle ages, that kind of thing. And still just a sea of. Of dots representing conflicts and government changeovers and different things like that. And so it is in contrast here in Daniel to these turbulent waters from which those nations are going to arise. That Daniel in verse 9 is given a vision of heaven. He says, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. You may have seen in cartoons sometimes when they depict God. He's got these long flowing white robes and this this grandfatherly mane of, of flowing white hair. This might be where they get some of that idea from. I don't know. But the point in this particular text is to emphasize the complete purity and power of God. In verse 13 then, he says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages Should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You might recall uh, from your reading of the New Testament, Jesus quotes this passage when the high priest is interrogating him and demands, Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, Yes. And you're going to see, as I descend to the right hand of God, you're going to see this prophecy come true. So something. Helpful that I think this passage shows us is that in contrast to the the turbulent, tumultuous waters that, that, that spout earthly politics, God, the Ancient of Days, is always on his throne. And now, one like the Son of Man comes and is given the same authority. And we know from the perspective of the New Testament that's Jesus, our leader. Jesus is our leader. And whatever it is that happens this week, as Christians, he's still going to be the king who rules with authority he received from the ancient of days. And what is more, Jesus is not only our leader. You notice something that's said there in verse 14. Just exactly how much dominion and authority in peoples and nations are given into his hands for them to serve him. All of them. So everyone. Jesus is king over the whole world. And there's not a single thing that can happen in this particular week, in this particular country, that can even begin to change or affect that. If you and I happen to be part of the, um, the very first generation of disciples, so go back to those first people who followed Jesus when he was alive When he was preaching and teaching, think of that group of people. Then you might also come forward a number of years to the to the first uh, groups of Christians that we've been reading about in the book of Acts on our Wednesday night study of that book. If you and I had been disciples of Jesus in the first century, living in the Roman Empire, I want to give you a taste of what you and I would have experienced. First of all, if we'd have been alive following Jesus during his time on earth, we would have had Emperor Augustus. Uh, Near as I can tell by all accounts, at least as far as ancient dictators or despots go, he's a decent guy. Um, He was an effective ruler. And Luke says he's the emperor when Jesus was born. Uh, But he's kind of the high point in the list you're about to get. He is succeeded by Tiberius. Luke mentions him. He's the Caesar during the time of Jesus' preaching and teaching and his crucifixion. Um, by all accounts, he was a crook and, and a, just a dirty old man in general. And that's what the early Christians had to deal with. That was the ruler of their empire. If you're thinking that sounds undesirable already, the next guy comes along named Gaius, but we know him perhaps better as Caligula, who was so stark raving crazy. He decided one day he was going to make his horse a senator. Now, you might have looked over a few ballots in times past and thought, you know what? I'd have taken that option if you'd given it to me. But he does this for real. So it's no surprise he is so hated by his own people that his very own bodyguard assassinates him. The guy (laughs) who's supposed to keep him from getting killed does the task himself. So the story goes... As this is all going down and as they're rampaging through the palace, they find hiding behind one of the curtains, the one that they thought of as basically the the failure in the family, whose name was Claudius. And as a sick joke, they decide to make him the emperor. Um, That may ring a sort of bell because we know him from our, our study of the book of Acts as well, from Acts 18. Because Claudius is the emperor who orders all the Jews out of Rome, including Aquila and Priscilla. When Claudius dies, his successor comes to be Nero. For the first five years or so, he does all right, Um, but then, just like most of his fellows, he just goes bonkers. Um, The Senate orders his execution. He decides that he's going to take his own life instead. And as he's preparing to do so, he he takes a moment to lament what a great artist the world is going to lose. This is the same guy who, when the fires start in Rome, decides he's going to lay the blame on the followers of a new religion called Christianity, which leads to a mass persecution against Christians. It's kind of a who's who of, of world leaders, isn't it? You know, I think back over the last few elections that I've had the right to vote in. Um, I, I can think of complaints that I might level against the politicians that were considered. Um, and I'm sure you've had to just kind of limit the, the avenues of information coming your way over the last several months. Because you could just get nothing but a steady diet of complaints about this candidate or that candidate. And non-stop, non-stop. In some cases, some of those grievances are warranted. But how would you like to have this litany of people? And mind you, you don't get to vote for them. You don't get to choose from them. They're foisted on you and you don't get to go make your voice heard or some such thing. Most of them are crazy. All of them are spiritually depraved. And some of them are even cruel and twisted. The thing in all of this is, if you're a Christian, it doesn't make any difference. Ultimately, which leader you have, because your leader's always going to be Jesus Christ. He is, as you know, the Bible says, the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And the faith that we have in him can remain constant, regardless of the day, regardless of the week, regardless of the fact that it's an election year. And now the day is upon us. No matter how the political waves may toss about and ebb and flow, our faith in our leader is is steadfast. Because he's steadfast. So, for starters, our leader is Jesus, and there's not a single thing this election is going to change about that. And then secondly, our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. First and foremost, and utterly. So, in the study that we've had of the book of Acts, we, um, we spent some time talking about Philippi when, when Paul brought the gospel to the handful of Jews and then the Gentiles that were in that city. You might recall Philippi is a significant city because it was afforded the status of a Roman colony. Not every ancient city in Rome was given that status, but but Philippi was, which meant its architectures, its customs, its laws, just everything about it was, was mirrored very closely after Rome. It's a Rome away from Rome. And, and with that distinction comes great pride and prestige for those who live in that city, for Philippians. But Paul says in his letter to the Philippian Christians in chapter three and verse twenty: our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am and I'm thankful to get to be a citizen of the United States. I have that as an earthly citizenship. The Apostle Paul had a Roman citizenship. We talked about this Wednesday evening when we saw him again make use of that Roman citizenship to claim some of the rights and the protections that would be afforded to him. He did that very same thing back when he was in Philippi. And in each case, he used his status as a Roman citizen to serve the kingdom where his ultimate loyalties lay. Because Jesus is Lord. So this week, and and just in general, by all means, we ought to be good American citizens. We ought to use the rights and the liberties and the protections that are afforded to us. But we ought to do so particularly... So that just like with Paul, the gospel can have as much free course as possible. So use your rights, use your liberties, use your votes so that we can still have the freedom to practice our faith without being hindered by the government. But the thing in all of this is, is that even if the government were to ever become just extremely hostile towards us as Christians, as it does eventually in Rome in the the first and second centuries, even if political forces were. Radically transform our country so that it's not even recognizable in comparison to the republic that our founding fathers intended. Even if something like that happens, our ultimate allegiance is always to Jesus, which means our ultimate citizenship is always in heaven. That means because Jesus is Lord, because he is Lord. Granted, I am I am thankful to get to live in Ohio. I love it here. And I am quite, as the song goes, proud to be an American. But nevertheless, I'm actually an alien in this country. I'm a temporary resident. I'm a sojourner, to use Peter's language. And my first and foremost loyalty has got to be to be a faithful citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And if I'll do that, if I'll keep my focus on that. Then what that means is however it is that the electoral votes votes tally up this year or in four more years or after that or however, it is not going to affect our ultimate allegiance. Which as one person said it, a friend of mine said it is not to a flag, but to a cross. It's not to a flag, it's to a cross. A third thing this election is not going to change is, is the mission we've been given, which is to make Disciples. So if you think back to how the Great Commission starts in Matthew 28, in verse 18, it says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Naturally, right? He's king. He's Lord. He's the one that Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 7. So beginning with the authority that's been given to him by the ancient of days, Jesus says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, So those are the marching orders from the king. That's our primary mission, make disciples. Which you do, he says, by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So part of what discipleship involves is proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is king and calling them to respond, calling people to respond in faith and baptism, as Jesus says here. The other half of making disciples you find in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So another aspect of what it is to make disciples is that once people are converted, then you teach them what the apostles authority gives us in scripture. And you instruct them to obey that urge them to follow that. That's what it means to be disciples. It means to become a Christian and grow in your life as a Christian. And no matter what it is that happens this week. Whoever is declared the winner in the various different races that go on this week. Is any of that going to change the mission God's given us? It's not. Now, there are certainly some things that can change that make our mission more difficult or more easy. Which is why we ought to use the powers that we do have as a citizen, same as Paul did, such as Voting. So that the gospel can have as much free course as possible. But no matter who ends up winning the election, it doesn't change what our mission actually is. So there's not an official that can be elected. There's no legislation that can be enacted. There's no decision of the court that can be handed down that has any effect on our mission. And whether the the law of the land and those who uphold it uh, and mold it align themselves with the teachings of King Jesus or not... It doesn't change our mission at all. Um, I don't know if you saw him. I don't know how much he was, was flying around this week. But earlier this week, I saw a man flying a plane, um, dragging a large banner behind him that said, vote anti-abortion. Um, Gavin saw it, too. And he asked what abortion was. So we had a bit of that discussion. Um, you know, I, I've been voting anti-abortion since I could vote. Um, and yet this country has only progressed further into that darkness. I, I still plan to vote against evils like that. But the fact of the matter is, whether the law of the land ever changes in that particular regard, that does not mean my hands as a Christian are tied or freed in regard to issues like that. So there is for me to do what there ever has been for me to do. And that is preach the gospel. And and point people to the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that their hearts can be changed. And then what happens, whether the laws of the land reflect the will of Jesus Christ or not, is you and I can still reach people with the gospel and change them individually to cause their hearts to align. With him. He changed the country's practices from the inside out. So you think about it, uh, some of the the emperors that we mentioned just a moment ago, if you're a Christian in in first century Rome, you imagine there might have been a couple of laws in the Roman system of government in the first century that were out of line with what Jesus would have said they should be? Of course there were. So what are those early Christians supposed to do? They're supposed to preach the gospel. And because they preach the gospel, you have idolaters and homosexuals and abortion existed back then. And every other thing under the sun, you had people giving those things up. Not because the laws changed, but because their hearts did and they wanted to follow Jesus now. So can you and I still do the same thing today? Of course we can. So regardless of what it is that happens this week, our mission doesn't change. And whatever it is that happens this week also doesn't change the way in which we're supposed to carry out our mission. A variety of different passages we might turn to. We're supposed to be wise as serpents but gentle as doves. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to show mercy and kindness to others because so much mercy and kindness has been shown to us. We're supposed to be gracious because of how gracious God has been with us. I say all of that because um, you, know, you, you might not have noticed, probably haven't seen it really too much, but sometimes when politics are involved, every now and then folks can get a bit snippy, a teensy bit combative. Occasionally they get a little impolite with each other. Maybe you haven't seen it. Sometimes political rhetoric can just get downright mean. And people can be so ugly to each other. And when you are bombarded by the arguing and fighting and name calling and disregarding and and imputing of, of bad motives and character and the constant mailers in your mailbox, all that kind of stuff, it can be very easy to allow that kind of rhetoric to seep into your heart. To seep into your Facebook posts, to seep into your conversation, to where you start talking to other people those ways about those issues. As we said, Jesus Christ is King. And you and I, wearing his name as Christians, we represent him. So, as those who do represent Jesus Christ, who are citizens of the kingdom, with a mission, an eternal, or a, 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 at least until eternity, a mission to make disciples, a mission that by all means transcends anything political, the last thing you, as, you and I as Christians can afford to do is to allow that kind of hateful, spiteful um, language and rhetoric that sometimes characterizes those political conversations to affect the way that you and I talk to each other. The gospel is is by its design, by God's intention, already offensive enough to the worldly minds of many people. We don't need to add to the issue being jerks on top of that. I cannot allow politics and that kind of hateful thinking and hateful speech to get into my heart and get into my mind and the way that I treat people and impede the mission that the king has given us. Seems election years in particular, though honestly all the time, is, is as important a time as any to guard your heart and guard your words, maybe guard your posts, different things like that. And then finally, I think it's important to also remember that no matter what it is that happens this week, whoever it is that's sworn into office um, in January of next year, Lord willing, whoever it is, our first duty as Christians in regards to them is to pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, First of all then, first of all. In other words, for starters, priority number one. First of all, I urge... That supplications, that is, that's when you ask God to supply something. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. So that's the, that's the full spectrum when it comes to prayer. He says, I urge you to do this for all people. And then specifically in verse 2, for whom? For kings and all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So it's not going to surprise you. There are some politicians I'm not particularly fond of. Um, And in general, I think it's unfortunate, but it seems politicians are very easy to make fun of. They're very easy to complain about. Um, They're very easy to disparage. They're very easy to get disgusted with. Very hard to pray for. Remember the list of Caesars that we were looking at there. Those are the guys that Paul's talking about when he says this. Um, I, I brought you up to Nero. It doesn't get any better after him. When Nero commits suicide that next year, there are five different people trying to be emperor. Imagine trying to get people to come together as a country when you've got all that going on. So Paul says, first of all, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray for these people. And to what end? Notice the the particular end that he mentions here. So that we can live our lives as Christians. You and I have got many responsibilities when it comes to to our governing officials. To obey their laws, etc., etc. But in this passage, Paul says priority number one is is to pray for all and specifically for our leaders. And I can flat out tell you I have not done enough of that. I've not done enough praying for the the leaders I like. And I certainly haven't done enough praying for the leaders that I don't particularly like. Some of you, I imagine, make a point of doing that in just about every single prayer that you say. Please keep it up. The rest of us need to follow your example. Myself included at the front of the list. Paul says that's what I want you to do so that you and I can live our lives as Christians. Which is to say nothing or very little Of the value of the soul of of that leader as well. So part of why Paul says it's important for us to pray in a time like this um, is because what we're doing when we pray um, is petitioning God to preserve our abilities to to worship the Lord and spread the gospel freely. Another part of why it's important for us to, to make a point of praying for our leaders, whether we fancy them or not. Is because when we pray prayers like that, something that that does is anchor ourselves. Not to our government, but to the ancient of days. Who sits on his throne as he ever has. And when we go to God in prayer on their behalf, we're recognizing that, yes, they have some power. But what power they have, God gave them. And ultimately, all power is his. And he's still in charge. So after the election, it may be that that you and I are praying to God and thanking him for those who've been elected. Or it might be that we're praying to God, asking help for our country, given the decision that it's made. However, that would be for you. And maybe asking him to guide the winner uh, to make godly decisions, no matter who the winner is. But in either case, what I'm doing is reminding myself that Christ is my true king. He's my ultimate king. My citizenship is ultimately in heaven, not here. And what's more, I have a job to do. I have a job to do trying to help other people do what is right by telling people about the gospel and teaching them with Christ-like love and praying for them. I need to do that more. I need to pray more for Donald Trump, for Joe Biden, for Nancy Pelosi, for Mitch McConnell. I need to pray for those guys. And sometimes it might feel like, you know, what exactly is that going to accomplish? That doesn't feel like it's going to really do much. It feels like a drop in the bucket for all that's going on. Maybe we need to be more active, we need to say things, we need to do things, etc. Listen, there's, there's a place for all of that kind of stuff, but to sit there and allow myself to think that praying for them doesn't feel like I'm doing much is to forget just exactly who it is that sits on the throne. I'm asking the Ancient of Days who has all authority to please step in and help. He wields all power and i 'm appealing to him i 'm anchoring myself in the one true king, and if I think that i 'm not doing a whole lot by praying to God about those things, then I need to really consider what my view is of prayer and of the power that God possesses. So I need to do some more praying for for our leaders, for our country, all those things in general and so before this morning, before we have an invitation here in just a moment um Let's, let's go to God in prayer. Let's have a word of prayer this morning before we finish up. Our Almighty Father, we are most very thankful that, that you are God in heaven above. We are so thankful that you have given all authority to Jesus Christ, our King, and that we get to be citizens of his kingdom. We are so thankful that, that you rule in the kingdoms of men. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remember that in this week ahead. However, the vote may go, we will remember that, that you are Lord uh, of Heaven and earth, that nothing has changed that whatsoever, and that no matter who is elected to any office in any country and at any time, your will nevertheless will be done. Please, Father, give us faith and confidence in you, please help us to fulfill our mission to proclaim the good news and to proclaim the truth of christ 's will, whether that truth is is um, Replicated in the laws of this country or not. And we pray, Father, that you would be with all those who are occupying positions of power and leadership, both in our country and the world over. Some of those folks seem to us to be exceedingly immoral people, perhaps beyond hearing the truth of the word of God. But please help us to to remember uh, from what those of us who are members here have studied in the book of Acts and seen in the example of of Saul become Paul, uh, as well as the the pagans to whom the gospel reached, and then also to remember the power of your word that it has to reach even the um, the darkest soul and to fill it with the light of your word. We pray, Father, that you would be with um, with Donald Trump, with Joe Biden, the men who are running for president. We pray, Father, that you would be with all of those. Who are running for offices in Congress or um, to be judges or whatever else is up for the vote uh, this week. That you would cause them to act in godly ways. May your will in all things be done. May they guide this country in a righteous direction. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to, to pray for them continually beyond even just this week. Please, Father, give us faith and trust in you this week. We thank you so much for the confidence that we can have in you because of what your son has done, not just in this life, but in the life to come when we get to go home to be in heaven with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Um, By way of invitation this morning, I just simply ask you, is your citizenship in heaven? So sometimes we talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life. And I understand what a person means by that when they say that. But in truth, he is Lord of all there is, including your life, whether you acknowledge that or not. What we invite you to do is bend the knee to King Jesus this morning. Confess your faith in him, be baptized into him and serve him from this day forward. Tuesday, notwithstanding. It is far and away the most important decision you'll make this week. I hope you'll make the right choice this morning. Always stand and sing.